0: Professor of Physical Geography at uh, Victoria University of Wellington, Te mm. Haringa Waka, um, and I'm a, I'm a climate scientist or an atmospheric scientist. I was originally a weather forecaster, a weatherman, that's where I started my True. professional career in Wellington yeah. and sort of went from the weather on to the climate over mm. many years. Uh, I've been involved in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change for 20 years or so now, um, and as time's gone on, I've just spent more and more time thinking about climate change, what it means and, and how we deal with it.
1: Yep. Mm, yeah, and, and what's your involvement with the
0: uh, Nuao project? Um, <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't have much direct involvement in Nuao. I know uh, most of the principals who've set it up. Mm. Um, I, and I worked with uh, Maybrook and um, Paul Blaschka on a, um, a project in Vanuatu about 10 or 12 years ago, looking at, um, oh, what is it, environmental-based environmental, environmental based adaptation, EBA, uh, working with people from SREP, look, looking at um, Port Vila and mm-hmm. environmental issues there. So I, I guess I, I work on climate change in terms of the science of what's happening in the atmosphere, storms and so on. But I'm also really interested in understanding impacts and how to help communities mm. respond. So that's why I got involved in that project, and I've I've kept contact with um, with both Maybrit and, and Paul, and I know um, Dame winnie Laban very well, and mm. I've been involved in running the um, the the spread Victoria University um, Pacific Climate Change conferences. The last we've had three of them now. Um, I've been involved in all of those uh, and we've got another one coming up in about a year's time so I'll be helping out with that one as well. So I I, I guess and and before I was at Victoria I was at NIWA and I did a fair bit of work on Pacific climate forecasting and climate change impacts and so on with with the group there. Um, So I've, I've visited a number of countries in the Pacific and I've worked on Pacific climate issues for quite a while. Mm. And I I just recognise that it's, as as somebody said, was it Kara? Someone said today, you know, it's probably the most vulnerable. Well, vulnerability is a bad word. You know, it's not about being a victim, it's about responding. But the Pacific is exposed to the front end of climate change, certainly. So it's a very important area to understand and to assist.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Pacific is often overlooked when it comes to climate action and all the rest, because we're just like a bunch of little small island <laughs> nations, and yet yeah. because we're in the Pacific Ocean, we're under major threat, right, of, um, yeah. what, what do you call it, coastal emundation? inundation? Coastal inundation, coastal yeah, yeah. flooding, yeah, yeah. And, you know, if
0: it wasn't for the Pacific Island nations... The Paris Agreement wouldn't talk about one and a half degrees of warming. You know, the Mm. ambition of the world would be a lot less if we didn't have the Pacific Island nations pushing. You know, Vanuatu's led the case to the International Court of Justice and so on. So Mm. while, yeah, if you live in Europe or wherever, you might not think about the Pacific that much, but uh, the Pacific Island nations have really Mm. had a high profile in policy worldwide, I'd say.
1: Yeah, you said something in your talk before that we don't have time to talk
0: about the problem anymore. Yeah, no, that's what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, these IPCC reports have been coming out for yeah. 30 years yeah. saying, yeah. hey, we need to take action now. And mm. some people say, oh, you know, same old, same old, yeah. that, that nothing's really going on, which is not true, of course. Mm. And it is, you know, the message is same old because the science hasn't changed, but yeah. boy. We have really have run out of time. Yeah. If we're going to stop warming at a level that's manageable for at least half the world, you know, one and a half degrees of warming or certainly less than two degrees of warming, mm. it's crucial to stop uh, in that zone somewhere. And, you know, if we're going to do that, we need to have action starting immediately. Mm. You know, mm. a couple of, five years ago, ten years ago it would have been good, but we can still do it. But we have to take action straight away.
1: Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting what you were saying about when these topics of discussion sort of started happening around 30 years ago. It was mm. around the same time that the industrial revolution was sort of introduced, or like oh, our, it had been around longer. But you know, like we've been talking about this for so long now. Yeah,
0: and you know, that question I got at the end about degrowth or economic growth, Mm. that's what's driven all of this this massive increase in emissions use, burning of fossil fuels, use of stuff, you know, just the volume of stuff we have now, and the the amount of energy we all use, Mm. you know, you could halve our energy use, I think it is by going back to what life was like in 1990, Mm. and you know, life in 1990 was it was okay, I wasn't living mm. in a cave, it was quite mm. civilised actually. Mm. But, and we just don't realise, yeah. things change from year to year and you kind of accept that's how it is, but the amount of gadgets we have, the, the amount of energy we use now for all of our online behaviour, mm-hmm. we, we might have more efficient cars but we drive them yeah, more, we drive yes. them further, we use more petrol and diesel, it's just become a norm. To, to burn energy a lot more than we used to. And uh, turning that around is not going to be easy because it is the way the global economy has worked. Yes. So you're sort of fighting against the current a bit. Mm. But, boy, if we don't do it, like starting now, we're going to be in big, big trouble. We, you know, and some countries already are in mm. big trouble, obviously. So it's... Um, a huge concern,
1: yeah. I mean, there's a very dire statistics but it did yeah. make me wonder like, how do you manage your own well being given the circumstances? <laughs> yeah. and is there a way <laughs> to kind, kind of like maintain a level of positivity <laughs> when yeah. approaching
0: what What stops me from please? bursting into tears? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was thinking about that today. I was talking <laughs> yeah.
1: <there>. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it, if there is anything that's, that's you a great know, question,
0: no, no, I'm. I'm naturally an optimistic person, yeah. you know, and I think, okay. I think you'd have to be if you're working on climate mm. change because it's pretty heavy stuff. Um, and I do, like, like I said in my talk, we have all the power. We're the ones emitting this stuff, if we stop, we will stop global mm. warming very quickly. Mm. So we just need to use that power, and that, mm. that gives me hope, and there's a lot more activism now than there was even five years ago I'd Mm -hmm. say, you know, school strike movement, Extinction Rebellion Just Stop Oil, etc etc, and the the policy conversation has changed at least, nothing much has happened but in this country we have a Zero Carbon Act, we Mm -hmm. have Climate Change Commission the government's actually come up with an emissions reduction plan, we haven't seen the emissions reducing much yet but I am hopeful that it will start happening this year um so there, is, there are reasons for hope. We can still stop global warming at a level that we can deal with pretty well, I think. Um, so, yeah, I hang on to those ideas quite a bit. And, and I, um, I'm pretty good at compartmentalising my thinking. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, can, I can turn off the climate change bit of my brain mm. and go and read a book or watch yeah. a movie or yeah. listen to some music and, you know maybe have a glass of wine or mm. two or three. <laughs> it's, it's funny, I, I've got a book coming out in a couple of months actually oh, yeah. on climate change mm. and after a lot of discussion we decided to call it Under the Weather, which that's um, not a bad title, but I thought, yeah, considering the amount of whiskey I drank while I was writing it, it's, it's also quite apt. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying I'm just drunk all the time, but sometimes having a few drinks is a nice mm. way of just... Relaxing a bit, yeah, yeah. so you know. You I, I like riding bikes, <laughs> and I like getting outside. All of those things. I, I and I'm a very aware, you've got to take a break and have a bit of, get a bit of exercise, have a bit of me time, sort mm. of thing. Because if you were just working on the stuff, all the time, I think it'd drive you crazy. Yeah, too much to take in. Yeah, and it's and you know, I I didn't say this in my talk, but I thought you know here I am, you know I'm a Pakeha academic in my office at Victoria. Analyzing tropical cyclones. I'm not someone on the ground in Fiji or vanuatu dealing mm. with the consequences. Mm. I'm very aware that you know people are at the sharp end of all of this, and mm. it's a, I'm in a very privileged position, just being able to study it, mm. and you know tell people about it. I guess hopefully that's helpful, but but it's yeah, it's a, it is a very sobering topic. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're pretty inventive people. We put our minds to anything. I think we can do it. Just just get on with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's been awesome. as I've seen some of your talks before, but also your involvement in other projects like Manamwana and oh, yeah. looking at different ways of getting people to look at the climate change issues and yeah, visualising that a bit more and being yeah. an experience and understanding that yeah. way. I
0: mean. I, I, I guess I have the attitude that, you know, if everybody everybody should care about climate change, but of course, you know, there is no issue that everybody cares about, mm. that everyone has the, the right position on. Mm. But if enough people know about climate change and understand what to do, then, you know, that's good. And so yeah, I look for ways to reach people that you know, who reads scientific papers this you know, point zero one percent of the population probably, but everybody watches movies or listens mm. to music so that's why I've worked with people in the arts sector yeah. on how the arts can tell stories about climate change that you know are bound to reach more people and they reach people emotionally not you know not intellectually because you know it's one thing to know stuff but it's another thing to really feel it and yeah. feel moved to do something so so yeah I'm always looking for opportunities to do something other than publish a scientific paper or, you know, produce yet another graph. If you can put a... If you can tell a story that resonates with people, then yeah. that's when you're going to get engagement yep. with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's another form of knowledge transmission, Oh, right? yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the way science is, is conducted, it's a very narrow definition of exactly that knowledge transmission. It's all very yeah. formalised. And, you know, it works, obviously, mm. um, yeah. but but it's it's very... Restrictive mm. and yeah, it's pretty narrow.
1: I think that there's a there's a much closer um, relationship between science and art than we realise, though. Uh, yeah,
0: absolutely. And they're both creative mm. uh, endeavours, mm. essentially. You know, mm. if you're doing science, you've got to come up with ideas and express them somehow. And, and and even to the extent, I think, a good figure in a scientific paper is a real work of art, mm. in, in my opinion. Even even weather maps. Um, there's an artist in Taranaki whose name escapes me right now who who drew weather maps as had them framed, you know, there as pieces of art. And I thought this was brilliant because, to me, that's exactly mm-hmm. what they are. And, and mm-hmm. the really best analysts at the Met Service when I was there, pre the Niwa years, you know, they they were they were great stylists. You know, the, the way they would draw an isobar or put an H on a map, I thought mm-hmm. was very beautiful. Yeah. And and the, there is an art in understanding how the world works, um, but it's uh, it's different as well, right? I mean, artistic expression is is not as I suppose I was about to say not as formalised as scientific research. It, it, I suppose it is in some ways. You know, there are certain schools of painting and writing and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. but but. You, 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 have an idea and you express it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the same in science, although in science, the idea is probably a bit more focused on you know whatever topic it is you're studying. It's not it's not completely random,
1: mm.
0: but it's it's the same intellectual process of coming up with ideas about about expressing how the world works, I suppose, mm-hmm, which yeah. is what art does. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, we had a, had this. Uh, workshop a few years ago, 2019, I think, um, bringing a group of scientists and artists together who basically never met each other before, and spent the day talking about climate change and and music and dance and stuff, and mm. it was it was kind of weird, but it was really interesting. Yeah. you know, you really got to see how uh, art- artistic groups work mm. and how they think a little bit, and I and. Vice versa, the, the artists got a bit of a sense of how the scientists operate too. And the idea was to come up with teams, you know, of artists and scientists who would work together to produce some kind of piece of art that would talk about climate change. And not everybody got together with everybody, you know. <laughs> it's a sort of a speed dating thing that yeah. we're, we, we, got, we got a few groups that have done that and we've got some really good um, results out of it, mm. some really cool, you know, Video and dance and, and various things, but it, it, it didn't land that well with everybody. A lot of people went away scratching their heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that kind of <laughs> the end of that. But yeah. but but yeah, you're quite right that yeah, art, artistic expression and and scientific uh, research and expression are very similar things.
1: Yeah, it's really funny how. Um, How differently scientists and artists think and then express themselves, but I do think it's quite a necessary collaboration that should happen, especially with the current discourses surrounding climate adaptation and action. Um, personally, as like an indigenous Rangatahi creative, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. all I want to do is make work Mahi about. Our current like environmental context, yeah, you know? sure. Um, because to me, that's like a way of communicating, and I suppose your way of communicating in the scientific realm is through your reports and through yeah. your writing papers. It's all very necessary, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. all part of the mm. overall story. Yeah. That's right.
1: And it's about reaching people because I think ultimately, yeah, um, some of us just don't know you know, what's going on. Yeah. Mm.
0: And it's not as though you have to know. Yeah. I mean, most people, everyone's got a really busy life these mm. days. And if you're not, it's not your job to look at climate change. Why would you? Why would you? How would you have time to mm. even think about it? You've got to put food on the table and get the kids organised and
1: mm. all the rest
0: of it. And the last thing on your mind would be what's going on with the global climate system. Mm. I mean, and, and it would feel like a punishment to have to think about it. Mm. I, I totally... Get that, but on the other hand, you know, it's it's affecting everybody. Yeah. Everybody has an opinion, or or hopefully should have an opinion, and everyone can provide input. Mm. So I think it's important to at least try to let as many people as possible know about um, about what's happening, especially about what what good things are happening, mm. what what a good future could look like. Yeah. You know, I'm great at talking about oh, extreme climate change and these events and coastal inundation. That's all grief, and that's you know that helps to frighten people, hopefully, to take some yeah, action. Yeah. But you need to have a sense of where you're going. You know, if we do reduce these yes. emissions and do this and this, you know, what what would the future look like? How good could it be? Yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's a really important message, and I hope that's something that does resonate with people more than just being sort of, it must feel like you're being punished, being told, oh, we're going down the tubes and it's all because <laughs> yeah. you're driving that car.
1: <laughs> from your perspective then, what what do you think the future should look like?
0: Huh. <laughs> Big question. Yeah, well...
1: What's something to look forward to?
0: Something to look forward to is cleaner air for a yeah. start. You know, beside, aside from actual climate change, all of the burning of these fossil fuels puts a lot of crap under the atmosphere and... and I forget the statistics, but there's millions of people globally, worldwide, who die from respiratory Mm -hmm. illness and that kind of thing because of all the smog and stuff Mm -hmm. in the air. So we'd have a a cleaner, a bit like the the big lockdown in 2020 with COVID. You know, there's reports of all the big cities in Asia and North America, suddenly they could see the mountains. You know, the air cleared very quickly. Mm -hmm. And people realised, wow, it does actually make a difference. Whether I'm driving to work or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, we'd have a, a cleaner world, clearer air, um, just less pollution generally, so healthier lifestyles. And part of the story, a big part of the increase in, in carbon dioxide emissions has come from people driving cars and trucks, you know, more people driving more often further. And if we can get away from that and more people are riding bikes and Mm. walking and catching the bus, you know, using something other than a personal car, or if you are driving a car, it's an electric car, but there's less of them. So more people are biking and walking. So that's another way that we have a healthier lifestyle in general. So hopefully public health improves, um, less stress on the health system. Mm. Um, It's all sounding a bit sort of tree-hugging green, <laughs> clean and green, but but exa- well, it, that's exactly what... Well-being, should, right? Yeah, sure. yeah, well, that's exactly right. Well-being and promoting well-being mm-hmm. rather than promoting economic yes. uh, production is mm. crucial to the future, I think. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, and, you know, there's still an economy, obviously. People still have jobs and earn money and live their lives. But we're not slaves to this constant need to have more Mm. and have Mm -hmm. a bigger economy in this, and to have the bigger economy everyone's got to be part of that and you've got to have more money and you've got to spend more money and have more stuff and take more holidays all of that. I hope we can break away from that thinking and we have a, a future where people are happier but they're doing less you know and when you go on holiday maybe you don't fly to London you... Perhaps catch a train to Auckland, or <laughs> I don't know where you go on holiday. But you know, we could lower our expectations a bit, and that that might sound uh, like a bit of a punishment, but it's it's not meant to be. I think we've got trapped in the idea that we've got to have more mm-hmm. activity and more stuff. That mm-hmm. that's what makes us happy. It's not what makes us happy. It's mm-hmm. very clear that yeah. connection with other people and yeah. connection to the land, yes. and just taking a breath is what makes everybody happy and, and even I felt that during that big lockdown we had here in 2020 mm. yep. you know I went for quite a lot of walks around my neighbourhood and went for quite a lot of bike rides I discovered a whole lot of bike trails I didn't know existed and mm. and I ended up I felt much more connected mm. to my neighbourhood at the end of that lockdown than I did at the beginning and I think a lot of people could say that Absolutely. And, and if we can just slow down a bit and um yeah, do less and have less, I think we'd be happier generally. That's that's It's a bit vague, but that's my general picture of the future. Mm. And this idea of degrowth that came up in the questions, I've just finished reading a book on that, um, Less is More by Jason Nicholl. And I, before I read that book, I struggled to really imagine what this non-growth economy would look like, because I've only ever known a growth economy. But he explains it very well, and it sounds... Great to me, and it, it, it really is about breaking away from growth as a necessary part of a story, mm. and reducing inequality. You know, all the billionaires can give up their billions and spread those billions around. And you know, I'm a socialist by mm. <laughs> upbringing, so I'm right on board with that kind <laughs> of idea. But I think all of the inequalities that have developed in the last few decades are in a, in a way a symptom of you know the same reason we have all this climate change because resources are being concentrated very heavily in some parts of the world and, and disappearing from other parts of the world. If we can equalise that more, mm-hmm. so everybody has a, an equal opportunity, equal share of the goods, that would by itself reduce a lot of the
1: yeah.
0: growth and stuff and emissions yeah. and all the rest of it. So Comprehend a more equal, a more equal future. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I
1: like that. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Sure. And, uh, and sharing your knowledge as
0: well. Ah. Mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, that's that's my job. I yeah. Guess. I mean, if not
1: for <laughs> experts like you, we wouldn't yeah. have this information.
0: Well, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm very aware. I'm I'm a tiny component of a vast mm. international network of scientists you know and that's one of the great things of being involved in the IPCC mm. that's a fabulous networking opportunity mm. <laughs> you know I've met so many people and I've learned so much about you know I know about the atmosphere about the weather basically but I've learned all about the oceans and about the ice sheets and how biology in the oceans and on land modulates this and that and the other thing and you know I have a much rounder picture of the whole climate system now than I did when I started the IPCC process. Um, so yeah, I've contributed my mm-hmm. bit on storms and rainfall and so on, but I I feel as though I've picked up way more than I've given yep. in that sense, which is, which is great for me. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it's another reason why I've done a lot of communicating, communicating lately is I feel like I've taken on a lot of knowledge that's really interesting yeah. that I want to share with other yeah. people. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's what it's all about. Yeah, it is.